2: Radio Drivers
3: Start
0: Your Engines
3: Hit the pace car What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect!
2: I think I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. I can't see him, but he
0: talks to me.
3: He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is
2: racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santarowski, I'll be your host for the next 60 minutes or more as we discuss everything from a big Memorial Day weekend. Uh, before we get into that, let me introduce you to the panel I have. Uh, first off, from Richard Childress Racing, Mr. Gray Warren, how are you tonight?
3: Good evening,
2: sir. I hope everyone's doing well. We sure are, man. It's great to talk to you, Gray. Also, I have uh, in the house the NASCAR correspondent from Motorsports Tribune, Mr. Seth Eggert. Seth, back with us again this week. Seth, how are you? Tired. Tired, yes. <laughs> Big weekend for all of us, yeah. And um, Richard Uden, also from Richard Childress Racing and a, formula, a former Formula One engineer, uh, back with us again. Rich, I know we're having some technical difficulty Um keeping you online here um how are you doing today
4: i'm doing very good thank you hope everybody is as well
2: all right doing good i can hear you well now that's fantastic and last but certainly not least my good buddy joey barnes uh who uh managing editor at motorsports tribune who also writes for indycar.com joey you and i got to spend the weekend together in indianapolis as we like to do once a year so joey welcome back to the show how are you tonight
5: Doing fantastic, especially when you get a chance to see who won the hundred and first running of the Indy 500.
2: Absolutely, yeah, and it was it was a race for the ages in my mind. But uh, I just want to backtrack a little bit to our final show of the year last year when we all went around the table and we we were each asked to pick one bold prediction for 2017. And, and if you guys recall, when it came around to me, I said, "If Takuma Sato signs with Andretti Autosport, he wins the Indy 500." Uh, You know, that was a pretty bold prediction at the time, but uh, in retrospect, uh, you know, that held to be true. And I don't say this to gloat or to, you know, declare myself a great prophet of uh, racing, but I do, you know, want to uh, kind of let you know what my thought process was in, in making that prediction. That is, I've often thought that Takuma would absolutely thrive given the right team environment. And the business model that Michael Andretti has put together um, is exactly what Takuma needs, where Michael runs multiple teams where they share information uh, across the board. Don't hide a thing. And everybody tries to help everybody out. And I think that uh, judging from some of Takuma's comments, judging from some of Michael's comments, as well as uh, the hearty congratulations of the other uh, drivers in the paddock, that this has really worked out for him. He's really found a home here, um, and he's delivered in, in the biggest way possible by – Winning the Indianapolis 500, so uh, now Richard, real quick, um, you had the opportunity to work with uh, Takuma at Honda uh, in Formula One. So I just wanted to quickly get your get your thoughts on, because uh, I know you know Takuma pretty well, and I, I know you were pleased with this one.
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's oh, it's going back what twelve, twelve, thirteen years ago now that uh, I worked with him. I was his uh, steering wheel engineer, and uh, you know he's a great guy. He, he really is. He's down to earth, he's dedicated. He he's committed. He he's just a you know a really really great guy. You know, yeah. I, th- I think he, he struggled a little bit in the Formula One coming in with that uh, you know expectation of the dominance that he had in British Formula Three. I think for a long time he was had the most number of wins or he ha- held quite a few records from his from his years there. And you know he maybe didn't quite fully achieve what he wanted. There's a lot of pressure on him. When he was at Honda, uh, with the you know the Japanese background, obviously, and then there was that sort of messy period, I guess, with Guri where Honda almost created that team for him because there was such a backlash from uh, you know, from Japan when when he was fired and replaced with Rubens Barrichello. So you know, I'm glad he's found his place now, and you know even when i was living over in in europe i'd watch those races and watch how um you know a lot of the xf1 guys did in takuma especially and it's he, brilliant for him to see to see him win i think he he probably if he'd had the top drive that you know the the um you know the top IndyCar car drive earlier in his career i think he would have won a lot more races and and hopefully this is a you know springboard for him to go on and and, and win a few more because he's certainly got the uh the commitment and the you know the desire and the raw speed to uh, you know to do really well so that's no, great to see
2: Absolutely great to see. Now, Joey, you were at the race uh, with me. We uh, we got to talk about a little bit uh, in the media center after the race. Um, But uh, I'm just going to let you take us through those last couple of laps there. Um, I I thought it was a fantastic battle, but uh, I don't want to do all the talking tonight because I know you. uh, uh, You know, you've uh, you've had a chance to talk to Takuma. Obviously, Takuma writes a column for uh, for us over at Motorsports Tribune, and uh, you know I'm dying to read his next one. I'm sure it'll be a doozy. So, uh, Joey, I just want to get some of your thoughts on. uh, uh, Takuma's fine day
5: yeah i mean that's one of the reasons why earlier i was saying how good good i was doing because that was one of the most unexpected surprises i think is uh the 101st indy 500 winner is the driver columnist that's exclusive to motorsports tribune so it's pretty pretty cool and wild uh to think about but um yeah i mean this drive first off the racing that we saw on sunday was just unreal that race was doomed to to be rained out and potentially ran on Monday because there was a 90% chance of rain. And, you know, I'm going to say God loves IndyCar racing because literally as that storm's approaching, part of the storm goes south and part of it goes north, and we ended up getting that thing in, and about an hour after the thing was over, here comes the rain. So it was kind of cool. Um, yeah, I was but, stuck in that when that rain came, and when it came, it
2: came down hard. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. it was after the race, which was the best. But go ahead, Joey.
5: Yeah, I mean – um I think, you know, going through, moving past Alonzo Maney and all the other things that kind of ensued before then, as we get to the end of the race, Max Chilton's leading this thing and making his his uh, Gallagher-Ganassi car awfully wide and making it to where it was almost impossible to pass him on the high side. And Takuma made a couple of runs at him late, couldn't get the pass by, and with the way that this package works, trying to get that, that move out of one, uh, when he lost all that momentum it kind of if you lose one spot you're losing two uh and elio got by him and elio went on the attack on max and when he got around max max lost some momentum and taku is ready to to pounce essentially on the front stretch all this is going on and here comes rookie ed jones flying up with no nose cone so he's got wind coming in hitting his feet he's got the maximum drag on the front end of the car that you could think of and he's coming into the mix but by then he's kind of the, the also ran of the of the top three, and and Taku's able to make a pass on on Elia there, um, on the high side, and you know going into one, and I I mean he ended up going on and winning that thing, made the pass on lap one ninety five. But I I thought the most pivotal part of this was, you know typically this the Indy five hundred is a race of, of two different battles, the first one hundred and the last one hundred, and Taku was in the top mix of the top five for both, and we saw him lead early. We saw him obviously lead late. But one of the passes that's going to stay with me maybe for the rest of my life is on the front stretch, we had never seen more than two cars going into turn one. And he's on the high side going into turn one in the gray area, cutting down when he's got Ed Jones and Elio Castroneves underneath him. Three wide going into turn one, shades of 91 with Andretti and Mears. And just just cuts it down and takes the lead. It was one of the most amazing. Just took something more than normal kind of kind of drives going into one. And um, you know, I think that's so cool that it, it kind of made me think back to to 2014 with the NASCAR Championship race when Kevin Harvick was restarting 17th. You know, um, it's funny I was talking about this with somebody earlier today. You know, Harvick restarts that thing and goes from 17th to 10th on the restart heading into turn one. And it was a checkers or records. you're not taking this from me. And uh, that's what that reminded me of. I mean, Taco was there for all all take, you know, no attack, no chance kind of mentality that, that he's been living by for the last, uh, well, seven or eight years in IndyCar, maybe his whole career. Um, so it, it was good to see. And, you know, he's always been good to me. Uh, it's good for the paddock. He supports uh, uh, something called With You Japan, which is uh, a foundation to help the victims over there with uh, the tsunami that hit Japan. It's really near and dear to his heart for obvious reasons. And, um, you know, to see him talk about that in the post-race, that was one of the first things that he had addressed that's on his mind. was really, really cool. And it just goes to show the kind of class and the kind of character that – Talk Takuma Sato really is about, and um, it couldn't. You know, you wrote it in the in the five things. You know, couldn't happen to a nicer guy, and it it's certainly true. I know it says a lot to that's that's a saying that goes to a lot of people, but it is an exclamation point when you put it next to his name.
4: Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think, uh, I, uh, sorry, uh, quickly. I think going back to the uh, the point you made about uh, you know <clears> Takuma <throat> is, is is an all or nothing driver. Um, our parts guys at Honda can certainly testify to that as well. He went through uh, quite a few front wings and rear wings and uh, suspension setups uh, in, in his time there. And, but that was the great thing. That's what I really loved about him was, you know, yeah, you know, sometimes you could be a little bit more conservative and bring the car. Back, but it was all on our thing for him. And uh, we we loved, uh, we loved that about him. And uh, it's, you know, it's great to see that. You know, especially know, a disappointment a few years ago of crashing out with what was it, two laps to go. Uh, um, yeah, you know with the chance to win. You know to, no, it was, to, get, it was the, to get it was on the it was on the
5: last lap. In was it last lap.
4: It's yeah, last lap, lap know, turn one. Yeah, I mean, God, it's What five years? It doesn't seem like five years ago now, does it? It's incredible. But uh, no, it's great to see him. Great to see him do it. And uh yeah, it shows that you know bravery in in the sort of politically politically correct world of racing these days. You know, the bravery still counts for something. Yeah, and I, absolutely.
2: Um, and you know one of the one of the first people that come over there in victory lane. Uh, was Dario Franchitti, who we had that great battle with yeah, in 2012, yeah. and, and Dario was there, all smiles, you know, all pats on the back, and then and then here comes Tony Kanaan, um you know, Taku's old teammates over at KV Racing, give give him a great big bear hug and whatnot, and you could just see how much, uh, and you know, then there were team members from the AJ Foyt team where Takuma had driven, were, were in there, pat him on the back of celebrating. A lot of folks just really really pleased with this win, and even reaction from uh, fans and media. Uh, I mean, the folks in the stands were on their feet cheering Taguma uh, when he won that uh, which was fantastic to see uh, you know brought a little tear to his eye he you know he was uh, some of his comments are just how how wonderful wonderfully appreciated he felt after that win it's just just a real good feel good story you know and an overwhelming overwhelming positive reaction you know with the exception of the guy in denver who's uh, made some um, comments that uh, I guess he's still holding on some uh, World War II era anti-Japan sentiment, but um, other than, you know, other than few isolated instances like that, uh, you know, almost everybody in the racing world is happy for Takuma.
5: Just remember, it's former Denver Post. Former yeah, Denver uh, Post writer, should... yeah. Yeah, he used to, he used yeah, to, to know, have a job. They job fired up, him
6: today.
4: Yeah, um, it's like my buddy oh, John. Dusting, off his, d- dusting off his resume right now, isn't
2: he? Yeah, it's like like, I, uh, like Jim Rome says, uh, you know, Twitter's like a loaded gun. So,
5: yeah, I, um, I I tell you this though, what's so cool about this is that so you know his only F one podium was at Indianapolis, and yeah, I, and I, I just think it's so cool that that he was able to kind of curtail that with this um and obviously biggest one in his career i, I know f1 wins are huge but it, in my opinion it's you know indianapolis 500 outside of monaco and even i don't think monaco compares personally but i don't know how it is perceived on that side of the pond but i you know all things being equal the biggest thing that gives me joy about this is uh, you know 2012 he made that move and in my opinion he was pinched a little bit and, and obviously is the wrong end of of that and i always wondered why he never waited till turn three and he, he kind of shared with everybody through a motorsport.com article that it was because he just didn't believe that with the way the wind headwind going into three he didn't have the pace to go go head to head with the ganassi car against the headwind but he felt good about doing it in a one and to shorten this up a little bit um so too often, guys don't get a second chance to go after something as big as the Indy 500 or even a championship. Far too often, we see one guy get one chance in his career and he's done, and he never gets the ride, or the, there's the stars don't align, or for whatever reason it doesn't come together. And so this really is a story about redemption for for one of the better drivers around the world that really nobody. Has, has noticed for a long, long time. And, um, you know, it's just really good to see that come full circle for him because he's endured the obstacles and now he's overcame it.
2: And again, and it's always good uh, to see my childhood hero, Michael Andretti, in the presser. Uh, you know, it seemed like I see him more and more often, you know, three times in the last couple of years, so, but, uh, but you just got hats off to that organization they put together, you know, they haven't been the best uh, through the regular season, but, uh, you know, when it comes to the Indy, they're the class of the field. Um, you know, you get a hats off to Michael for putting together a tremendous group of folks um, and, you know, pulling off back-to-back Indy wins uh, last year and this year, so, uh, you know, if you look at Michael's regular driver lineup right now, he's got three Indy 500 winners, and then the other guy on the team, so, uh you know that's that's a that's a powerhouse team
0: right there
5: yeah I mean I think what's so what's also neat uh, to kind of go down the rundown here um, fill people in on the rest of rest of the story as they say um you know all five f1 drivers that that are f- former f1 drivers or current f1 drivers that were competing in this 33 grit, grid field had all ended up all leading at least one lap in this race uh, which is phenomenal uh, it speaks to the talent uh, that obviously F1 continues to bring it's the pinnacle of motorsport, so why not? But the fact that they can adapt themselves to the oval is incredible. Um, you know, also looking down this list, you know, obviously Elio comes up short again. He could have six uh, Indy 500s by now. Did, um,
6: uh, sorry for cutting you off, Joey. Uh, did anyone see the photo of Elio going underneath uh, Dixon and Elio being airborne?
2: Yes, well. yep. that was an that was yeah. an incredible image, yeah. and, and I wanna I wanna get into Dixon's uh, crash here in a little bit, but I like I like Joey to go ahead and finish his thought.
5: Um, you know, Eliot Keshenevis could have six Indy five hundreds by now. Second to Hunter Rain fourteen, another second. Um, yet, well, I say yesterday it feels like yesterday. All the days run together. Sunday, mm-hmm. um, Ed Jones, the rookie, the hot topic we'll get into in a minute, finishes P three. Max Chilton brings it home uh, fourth. An outstanding drive actually led the most laps in this year's 500. Um, by by far and away, the kind of drive you were hoping to get out of him, the one that he's been needing for a long, long time, and he does it at this stage. Uh, a lot of drivers have been wanting, and he was one I talked to on media day. You know, I didn't get a chance to really race Fernando when I was in F1. I was right opposite manner, <laughs> so he's like we're in kind of similar equipment and it's, it's, I want to see what I can do. And, and he certainly didn't disappoint. It, it really brought the best out of him and it was really good to see, um, you know, Tony Canon Montoya, last year's champ, Alexander Rossi, Marco Andretti kind of snuck in there at the top 10, was having an abysmal day until the very end. He finishes where he starts in eighth and then Carlos, uh, Cabby Chavez with, in my opinion, the run of the entire race. And then Carlos Munoz, um, First top ten for AJ Foyt racing and I don't know how long. Um, I don't have that stat on me, but it's been a minute. Gabby Chavez, the first this not just a first year team. That is a first race team. This was their debut race in the Verizon IndyCar series, let alone their debut in the Indy five hundred. And they went from twenty fifth all the way up to finish finish ninth. And I think that just goes to show that, you know, you got Larry Curry, you got Mike Curry, a lot of experience on that team. Gabby Chavez has always been good to take care of equipment they really want to build that foundation around him they look like they're heading to Texas so I'm excited to see what they can do on another oval and they look and, like they're gonna and be I believe Poc-
2: Poconos on their size too yeah
5: yeah and and they're gonna do those three three races this year if, it all, if it all goes well obviously with Texas and and Pocono and um, they're aiming for a full season charge next year so hopefully we get that yeah um, you know, I, I, one of the more disappointing things, uh, Pinsky, obviously not the biggest, uh, biggest, you know, guy in the room on on Sunday. I mean, you look at Simon Pagino, defending champion of the sport, uh, he ends up 14th. Uh, Pippa Mann grabs 17th. I believe that's her fesh- best finish in the 500. Um, you know, Saavedra leads Yunkos in their debut to 15th. Uh, Piggott, also with Yunkos runs 18th. Joseph Newgarden, James Davis and Oriol Servia, James hinchcliffe Willpower, all part of the late-race wreck there with uh, about 18 to go. And then you got Fernando Alonso finishing.
0: Question
5: 24th. Had a great day by anyone's standards. Uh, Led four different times for 27 laps. Made some great outside passes. Was patient when it was really in question by a lot of people, me included, of would he be patient. And um, I was really impressed with that. Uh, Charlie Kimball also expired with an engine failure in 25th. Uh, Hunter Ray, you know, once again, a, a solid car. Looked like one of the contenders to win. Second year in a row, he blows an engine. And, um, you know, we're going to finish it up here with uh, you got Buddy Lazier in 29th, Connor Daly in 30th, Jack Harvey in 31st, and Debris. But as was alluded to by, by Seth earlier, Scott Dixon um, and Jay Howard end up finishing out 32nd and 33rd. Howard had gotten into the gray area in turn two. Blames Hunter Ray uh, partly for that, maybe completely. But blames Hunter Ray nonetheless and um, ended up bouncing off the turn two wall or turn one wall excuse me and then c- coming off the short shoot um, ends up making contact with Scott Scott Dixon and goes for what is probably one of the scariest crashes I've ever personally seen in my life I mean that thing the bodywork underneath that car is so wide with the floor that it when it took off and hit the air it took off like a kite and um, you know the back end just flipping upside down hits the catch fence hits above and on the safer barrier before it literally splits in two right behind Scott Dixon while he's in the car. The, uh, the engine dismounts and goes one way. His tub goes the other. Luckily he walked away from that. Um, at the moment, if I recall, he was getting evaluated today for, uh, what the extent of that leg injury he had was, whether it would be a sprain, uh, a small fracture, just bruising. Um, we're still waiting on word on that, but, um, there was a uh, photographer that was taking a photo near the incident. Um, he's been uh, he's been taken care of. Uh, he ended up injured, and they took him to the hospital. From what I understand, yeah, he now, was okay. Did, did so. you see his picture? I, I did. It did. Um, I was, was going to least- say,
2: pretty incredible. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's dedication to the job, standing right there to get that shot. Um, but yeah, they, uh, it was in the Indy Star today. Uh, the photo that he took <laughs> right before ducking for cover. So, uh, you know, <laughs> so, you know, we're glad he wasn't hurt and was able to bring us that that really stunning image.
5: Yeah, I I'm a little conflicted because a lot of people want to place blame on um, on Jay Howard in a variety of ways for that, and and I get it. Yeah, and, J, um, and Jay
2: Howard, for his part, does not want to accept a bit of the blame. I mean, his uh, his um, Speech at the uh, banquet was uh, nothing more than a, uh, a, a a rundown of his resume and how he belongs in the race and uh, throwing Ryan Hunter the Ray under the bus, which I thought was you know inappropriate uh, given the that was the at the that was at the banquet. That was at the banquet. Yeah, he made the longest speech of the night, which for the thirty <laughs> third place finisher just seemed a little <laughs> out of place. But uh, you know, but many, I but I digress. Clubs. Yeah, so
5: I mean, I'll say this: I, I've got a couple of varying personal opinions um, of which are probably not the most popular. It was only a month and a half ago at the Texas test that he, I mean, he said, Hey, I've never been in a DW 12 before. I don't, you know, paddle shifting and this and that and the other and, and Hinchcliffe and them were like, we're going to have to get him up to speed. And, you know, two and a half weeks to prep at, at Indy. It's a high-stress environment, obviously. I don't want to sit here and say that there was any ex- inexperience necessarily on his part because, you know, Alonzo also had the inexperience. So did Zach Veach. So did J- Jack Harvey. A lot of guys were up against it in terms of, of inexperience. I think it was just something that caught him by surprise because he was focused on hitting the hitting his marks in the corner and um you know what was it lap lap 50 something lap 53 and i mean he was already two yeah, laps yeah, down 52, because of, 53, yeah so he was just at that point you're just trying to stay out of the way i think and you know trying to just focus you're hitting your marks in the high groove and when something like that kind of catches you out you know it, it I mean, sometime you got to be prideful and i get it but um and, and nobody wants to take blame for a wreck that that was that vicious uh for sure i mean it trying to to take that kind of blame for a wreck like that. I mean, you don't want to feel that fault for anything because that was one of the worst wrecks that I've ever seen. Yeah,
2: and, and then, you know, the, the long and short of it is that, you know, watching Dixon come out of that car under his own power was just absolutely surreal. Because I, I, I watched that thing, and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I've never seen such a thing. When that thing turned over and, and smacked the top of the retaining wall, I, uh, you know, I, I feared the worst, and I know a lot of us did. But then, but then to see Dixon, you know, uh, coming out of the um, the infield care center, just kind of just your typical Dixon, nothing phases him. It's just yeah, it was a bit of a wild ride, you know. Um,
4: just <laughs> t- typical
2: Dixon there. So, uh, I feel like again, you know that that tub held up. If you watch all the the parts that flew off of that car, uh, that tub stayed in one piece, and that's what uh, that's what took care of Dixon. <clears throat>
4: If you uh, if you watch the uh, the replay of it, I, I may be mistaken, but it almost looks that you know after the the tubs righted itself and he's still spinning down the track. It looks like he's probably got his finger on the radio button already to say I'm okay before the yeah. thing's even stopped. I mean that's how clear these guys think under those sort of situations. I mean we're screaming at the TVs and you know like just an incredible you know to witness such thing like that, and he's. You know, upside down, saying, "Yeah, I'm okay, guys."
5: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I look at this thing, though, and and the last thing I want anybody to to start doing is yelling about, "Oh, we need a canopy, or we need a halo device." Oh no, I I'm I personally look, I am one of the, the many people in the world, i'm not alone on this, that these things need to be as safe as possible. But the keyword there is as safe as possible. Uh, those are words rather not word and possible being possible being the word that I'm going for. Um, you know, look, if you want a canopy, go race in in a Daytona prototype or or something of that sort. Um, you know, go race over in WEC. A lot of these drivers, all these drivers should, but a lot of them know the risks, uh, whenever they step into the car about an open cockpit, I I'm in favor of a windscreen, but you know, all, all things being equal on, on the situation and the wreck, because all of us know that if that was one foot one way or one foot the other, Scott isn't walking out of that car. And I I personally, A, the safety advancements made for that car to, yes, it, it got airborne, but clearly, whether you want to call it luck involved or you want to call it the safety innovations to help kind of detract the energy a little bit, um, did, it, did what it was meant to do. The other end of that is, is that with the energy that that thing hit with, if you add a canopy or a halo, you a bring more factors into play. And the second part of that is if it hits clean enough, it's not going to matter if it's a halo or a canopy because even if it's made with some sort of plexiglass look, I mean, it's it's breaking through carbon fiber and last I checked carbon fiber was stronger than plexiglass.
4: Yes it is. So Yeah. So. yeah. I mean, I think you made a very good point there as well that you know, if you're the, you know, structural engineer at Delar that designed these things, you know, It was a textbook crash from a safety perspective. You know, the bits came off when they were supposed to come off. The survival cell did its job. You know, yes, you do have the dangers of, you know, wheels coming off. And, you know, I mean, you know, it was tragically so in the Justin Wilson case. you You know, you could have had somebody going flat out around the outside there that collected a wheel or a nose cone or the engine, you know, and then you've got a whole different thing to worry about. But from a point of protecting that driver that was textbook. You know, you couldn't ask for the car to disintegrate and the, the period or the distance between the initial impact and the car coming to rest being as long as possible. And it, it was, it was perfect. You know, it did yeah. everything it was meant to do. So yeah, you you use the word, was it look, was it design as an engineer? I'm going to go on the design side. Yeah. I mean, the
3: first lick that he takes is, you know, the car comes down on its side right on top of the safer barrier. I mean, right in, right on the side of the, of the, of the pod. And, yeah. uh, and that, that, that was a hell of a lick. That very first lick. Yeah.
5: And you look at, you know, the, the, the housing behind the driver and how high it is. Um, I forgot I'm for, the roll hoop. And, yeah. you know, you, you see the angle that it's hitting with. And it, I mean, it's very simple on why it's, it's hitting the way it's hitting. It's because that roll hoop, the way that it's, That it is is, hey even when you're upside down there's not going to be a clean impact um to to have it's where that cockpit's hitting flush and that's the way it's designed that's the way it's brought in and it's i mean we saw that with joseph newgarden last year at texas these look really scary but these drivers continue to just you know be superman and, and get out of the car and um you know at the end of the day you know, like I said, halos and, and things like that bring in worse devices. I mean, I'm over here thinking, I mean, what if it only hits flush at one part of the halo and it's just a piece of metal that goes down towards the driver's head, you know? Yeah, yeah. But then then, yeah. then, we're looking at a worse, you know, worse the worst scenario, in my opinion, that you could ever um, have. Yeah. So
4: Yeah, look, um, I mean, you're, you're talking about the, um, sorry, quick, very quickly, you're talking about the, the rollover, I, hope. I mean, one of the things I was involved in when I worked with Williams was, the actual crash testing or the structural testing of the F one roll hoops, which I'm sure are designed to withstand very, very similar layers to these Delar chassis, and the FIA would go around each team and each team had a Frame that the, the the tub was put in and then, you know, weight was in, and loads was applied.
0: Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was
1: only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true.
0: Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner
4: so specific areas and when we were doing this you know we were sort of sort of crouched behind bulletproof glass almost in another room and there was our head, like a head of composite design you know with a little flashlight about six inches away from you know these rollover hoops with incredible amount of force i mean these things are designed you know by some of the greatest composite designers in the world and uh you know they do deserve a huge amount of credit, and everything you know, say, worked exactly as it was meant to. Yeah,
3: and you know, it,
4: it still takes a
3: little bit of luck because there's always that one, one oddball hit that you know will intrude the, the cockpit. But he was very, he's very fortunate that it was a, it was a perfect storm of events, and and he was able to uh, get at it virtually unscathed.
5: Yeah, and I, I tell you, this is uh, you know. To kind of move this towards the, the next topic, I know Rookie of the Year was the one we were, we were going towards, and it's, you know, Ed Jones was, was going through some of that debris, and it damaged uh, parts of the car, the floor, a little bit of the spoilers, uh, spoilers, a little bit of the wings, and, um, you know, had to come in, started in the back of the pack, started going all the way to the front, sustained some nose damage, goes to the back of the pack, and has to come all the way back to the front. So for all the camera work that Alonzo Mania was, was doing, um, this guy was making, you know, quietly, methodically moving through the field. And, you know, he set a 233 lap for the month because I know the, the argument from a lot of people are, oh, well, he only did that on race day. No, no, if you were paying attention, he set a 233 lap in practice. He uh, was an absolute rocket ship. And when you compare the fact that, you know, Board A was running a 231 and a 231.5 and a 231.4 before his crash. Um, which in its own right was one of the most vicious. Um, you know, we don't have Borday for, for what looks like the rest of the season, possibly Sonoma if we're lucky. But, you know, now Ed Jones is the unsung leader of that team and now has become the number one, and, and we're waiting to see who's filling the next seat. And so he's gone from from controversial Indy Lights uh, champion to being a rookie who just continues to do his job and takes in as much advice as he can from his engineers and from Board A. And now there's no board A five races into the season. I mean, the the amount of pressure that has been on this kid has been unreal, and he has answered the bell every single time.
2: Yes, he has, and I think you know we had talked about the rookie of the year thing, and it's it's a bit of a shame that uh, that, that Ed didn't get that, you know. And i and this has been a hot topic uh, all over, and, and the, the the latest that I just heard was that not all of the people that were eligible to vote received their ballots in time, so I I don't even know what uh, what that means. Or why that was allowed to happen, but but in my mind, as I look at this thing, you know, Alonzo came in as one of the top talents in the world. Um, you know, I've I've always thought he's probably one of the most naturally talented drivers out there. He came in with the top team, certainly the top team in Indy, with a six car uh, onslaughts uh, and very very deep engineering skills or engineering staff. Um, you know he was expected to do well uh you know, he had all the all the tools at his disposal and you 've got uh, Ed Jones comes in here who 's a true rookie, you know having just graduated uh the Mazda Roads Indy uh system there. Um, you know true rookie 22 years old um, with the Dale Coyne team it's you know while vastly improved still the smallest team on the grid um, you know the little team that could and they come out there and finish third and you know and then factor in there you know the uh, get dropped to the back and having to fight his way back up Getting dropped to the back having to fight his way back up and and you know passing Max Chilton on lap 196 with uh, with a hole in the nose of the car um, taking all the drag off um, or or through giving him additional drag. It's just a phenomenal drive, and and for that to be overlooked uh, in favor of Alonso, in my mind it's wrong. Uh, at the same time, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that voting, but it's all subjective, you know, and some of it is, you know, how you represent, how you carry yourself through the month, how you perform in qualifying. You know, obviously uh, Alonso high marks for everything he's done this month, um, but I think there's high, high marks for Ed Jones too. So, uh, uh, you know, we may never have a satisfactory answer for this, but but you know my vote's my for ed
3: yep i'll tell you what i was i was struck by just you know it, it was we talked about it at, at the start how good a race it was we had you know had 35 lead changes among 16 different drivers you know that's that's almost half the field uh led at least one one or two laps and uh also um we had 16 cars finish, finish, the, finish the race distance. And that's, that speaks to the quality of the field that, that was there. And uh, I did want to touch on uh, Rossi's run, the defending champion. Uh, Rossi was stout, really ass- yeah. He really asserted himself in that race. And I tell you, and there was uh, through much of the race, uh, he looked like one of the favorites to pull it
4: off. And I think it was great, you know, for him to do that, because I think we we touched on it a little bit last week, you know, his victory last year surprised a lot of people, and, you know, understandably, but it was, this was his week to go out there and prove it wasn't a fluke, you know, to prove that it was, he, and I don't want to use the word deserved it, because he finished first out of the runners and, you know, Anybody that does that deserves it, but it was his opportunity to turn around and say, like you know, that, this wasn't a one-off. You know, yeah. he's maybe not the most consistent driver out there, but you know, I can do this, and I have the speed, and I'm sure for him it'll be a huge confidence boost. And for some of the some of the guys out there who were saying, well, who is this guy? You know, oh, he got a little bit lucky. You know, it sort of shuts them up a little bit, which I think is deserved because he's there's no, t- you know, you don't win that race by luck. You know, right. to a greater extent, you. You know, it was a fuel mileage race, you know, last year. And as you saw at the weekend down at the 600, you've got to put yourself in that position. And, you, you know,
1: you, you, you,
4: it's nobody else's fault. You know, you, you do the work and you, you work hard and you put yourself in a position to execute that plan. And, uh, you know, it worked last year. And this year, again, he proved he has the pace. He proved, yeah, I he mean, proved he belongs. <laughs> I, I
5: want to touch on just mostly because. I hate to give this guy the publicity, but personally, he just kind of pissed me off a little bit. Um, Lewis Hamilton making some comments about, yeah. um, you know, Fernando Alonso running, uh, you know, qualifying P5. Maybe that shows the the lack of talent that's in the IndyCar field. Um, you know, without taking, A, that's kind of a shot at Fernando's talent in some way, because if, if F1 talent was so superseding, shouldn't Alonso have just walked over here and walked all over everybody? Um, you know, the other end of that, is um you know Alonzo, let's let's consider the equipment. At Indianapolis, Andretti Autosport has the best equipment. Um, you know, everybody else is very, very stout in their own right, but with this package and with what Honda brings, they're good. I recall an F one guy coming into the to the season in two thousand and seven in a McLaren and, you know, he ended up choking at the very end of this thing and he goes (laughs) and, and loses by one point. But maybe that just speaks to the lack of talent in the Formula One field because it just had Kimi Räikkönen, Fernando Alonso, Felipe Massa, Nick Heidfeld, Nico Rosberg. You know, Vettel was also in that field in a part-time capacity, Jensen Button. But maybe there wasn't a lot of talent, and that's why he was able to finish second. Um, you know, to take a shot like that, you know, my, my thought is, you know, put your money where your mouth is and come over here and run this thing. If, if you think there's not a whole lot of talent, and let's see how you do.
4: The problem with Lewis is over the last few years you just you you just ignore what he says, you know you just really think that oh, Lewis has spoken, yeah, uh yeah, that's complete trash, oh well okay, you know you, you you know lewis doesn't he just likes the sound of his own voice too much at times, and you see it with some of his twitter things and some of his Facebook things you know it's just like you could probably add another world championship in there if he you know just just sorts his attitude out. Um, i know that was a big issue with mclaren and one of the reasons he left mclaren was because they were trying to be too controlling over him but you know sometimes he needs that and he left he treated his father when he uh, you know separated from that management group it's like come on lewis just just grow up you know just you're, to, what is he now 32 now he's in his 30s i know
1: yeah, it's like yeah. okay
4: you've had your little petulant you know almost pre-pubescent sort of period and you know, you're one of the elder statesmen of the sport now. You need to stand I up like and be it. accountable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, just like just like Kyle Bush does. Um, <laughs> and we'll talk about Kyle a little later. Yeah, I, I think Lewis just likes to keep, keep
2: his name in the news. Guys, real
4: quick. Exactly.
2: Real quick, guys. I just want to remind our listeners that you are listening to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. This is Drafting the Circuits. Now, back to you. Uh, Joey, you had another comment about Lewis here.
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of want to go back just to finish this, and it'll gratify me a little bit. You know, Hamilton had the championship lead uh, with two rounds to go left, China and Brazil in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, Kimi Räikkönen was kind of in a must-win situation, had to be the ultimate clutch performer. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, the ultimate choke artist here with a retirement and a seventh, and Kimi Räikkönen with a win and a win to get the championship. I just figured I'd just
4: you know, throw that out
5: there. and uh, Oh, yeah. You know.
4: And the retirement was his fault. It wasn't a technical issue. Remember, he uh, stayed out on those. I think he stayed out on intermediates and almost wore them through to the canvas, and then crashed coming down pit road. <laughs> that, that that sounds about right. That sounds about right. And then in Brazil, on the first lap, he pressed his pit lane speed limiter button rather than uh, another button, and. Uh, Uh, got his speed limits that came on.
0: All I can say is that I hope at some point during
5: his career Lewis Hamilton is humbled the same way that Alonzo has been humbled. Uh and Alonzo acknowledges it, he takes it, he moves forward, and you know, the fact that he was humbled is what gave him this opportunity to try to become, you know, one step closer to to only you know, the only area that Graham Hill currently yeah. owns. So Um, you know, and that being the triple crown for those that don't know, uh, Monaco, Le Mans, Indy. Um, I hopefully that happens with Lewis Hamilton because at this point it looks like it's much needed.
2: uh, To to Alonzo's point there. Um, now he said he'll be back at Indy. Uh, you know, we don't know when, uh, you know, certainly, uh, having your formula one team allow you to skip the Monaco Grand Prix is, is fairly unprecedented. Um, and so I don't know if we'll see, uh, Alonso back next year or perhaps whenever he finishes up Formula One. And we still don't know where we're gonna see Fernando next year. You know, Michael Andretti has said that you know there's always a seat welcome for him with the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah. I don't know if that would come to fruition. It would probably cost Marco a job. But um, did I say that out loud? Okay. Oh, oh.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Anyway, guys, let's uh, real, real quick
2: think. final, final comments about the Indy 500 because we've got to talk about the Coca-Cola 600, and then we've got to talk about the Monaco Grand Prix uh, that um, that um, drew lower ratings uh, on television in Spain than the Indy 500 by uh, what doubled, right? So. But uh, final final thought about Indy, and then everybody gets to pick two winners for Detroit, and we'll start with uh, you, Seth. Uh,
6: my final thought for Indy, uh, I would have to go with Elio is on the radio asking his spotter if he went low enough while driving underneath LA, uh, Scott Dixon. My two winners for uh, the two races in Detroit, I'll go with uh, I'll go with Joseph Newgarden for one. And will power for the other.
2: That's a good pick. Yeah, I was kind of leaning towards two pesky drivers myself, but I'm going to, I'm going to pick last this time. So I'll, I'll, I'll see what's left. So Gray, your, your final thought from Indy before we move on, talk about Charlotte.
3: I love the month of May, and this was a compelling month. I, I enjoyed every bit of it. Uh, uh, the race did, uh, race had a lot of, a lot of buildup, a lot of hype, and it did not disappoint. Um, Thoroughly enjoyed the whole uh, the whole proceedings of the month. Terrific race, popular winner. You couldn't ask uh, ask for uh, for a better better Indy 500. And it's kind of a little bit of a letdown after uh, after the teams move on from uh, from on from Indy. It's like the day after Christmas almost. But uh, let me see. Let me pick. Uh, I'm gonna say Dixon rebounds uh, this weekend. He picks up. Uh, picks up a win, and uh, let's see, New Garden. I'll take those two.
2: Joey, your final thought before we move on?
0: Oh, I thought
4: Richard was going to have one. Um, uh, oh, I can, I can. oh there, okay. You, do you want to go? I'm here.
2: I would say we just went, went out for hey. a second. Okay, well, we'll get this edited out. So uh, uh, 41, yeah. 59, okay, all right. <laughs> I just got to just gotta remember that. Uh, all right, Richard, your final thought from Indianapolis before we move on?
4: I, th- I think the you know the huge credit that has to go to uh you know all the engineers at dalara and all the engineers at indycar to uh to make a a chassis in a car that survives you know that, that allows two drivers in four case not necessarily to walk away from a wreck but to, to, to come away um you know with the ability to return to the cockpit in the near future and 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 dixon to to walk away from that massive accident um you know, huge respect to those guys, and uh, you know it really does uh, does put into context what uh, you know the safety of these cars and and what they have to withstand. Um, and then looking forward to this weekend, I'm going to go with I think uh, I think the Penske guys are going to bounce back, so I'm going to go Pagano. And who else is going to going to get close around there? Uh, let's go with, I hate saying it, but willpower.
2: Why do you hate saying that? (laughs)
4: Willpower can win just
2: about anywhere. I
4: know, but I I, I do enjoy watching him lose. Because his reaction (laughs) to losing, I think, is brilliant. All right, it is brilliant, yeah. So, Joey, you get two picks for Detroit and the
5: final thought coming out of Indy. Oh, man. All right. Well, my final thought, if there is one actual final thought... um, I was just number one. It's a privilege to always get a chance to to go and and cover the Indy 500. I'm amazed each and every year that I get to do this, and you know this year was without question the most just wow year. And you know the racing was great, the product was good. I'm really hopeful the 2018 cars can can put on a show equal or greater than what we saw on Sunday. And, um, you know, I can't be disappointed at all with with the way that everything was was put together, the way the race was and um yeah I, I i think that um I think that a lot of the guys that we saw, the young kids, the Rossies and the Chiltons of the world that are running up there and the ed Jones, I think they've kind of just made their little stamp that they're that they're here and they're gonna be here to stay for a long time, and I think they finally took it to the uh the elder statesmen of the uh of the Verizon IndyCar series. Um, see, I told you that wasn't just one. Um, uh, I mean, you know, I could seriously, the
2: final thought thing is kind of painful because I could talk about Indy for another hour or more, but, so, um, go, go, go ahead with your Detroit picks.
5: I think Detroit's supposed to be the place that Penske owns. Um, yes. I'm going to say that this year that doesn't happen. I'm going to go against conventional wisdom, which tells me Pagino and power. Um, like what Richard did. I actually think that Alexander Rossi is going to win one. Um, I look at Long Beach. He was chasing down Hinch and had the car to probably win that thing had had he not had the engine expire. And that's going to be tricky with Honda moving forward. Um, but I also like uh, the team that won at St. Pete. I actually, But I like it to be Ed Jones. You know, a little snubbed on the rookie of the year thing, got a little chip on his shoulder, maybe will... You know, that stuff doesn't usually phase him, but we'll see how it is when he gets in the car because he's impressed the hell out of me this year. His driving has been second to, to nothing short of exceptional. Yes,
2: yeah, so and I believe Dale Coyne has a couple of wins at Detroit. If I, if I recall, he's uh, Justin Wilson won there. I'm, I'm Mike Conway? Sure that, yeah, Mike Conway, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think Wilson might have won in a Haas. I can't quite remember. I know Wilson's a former winner there. Uh, Borday's won there twice. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think you're gonna. There's two other former winners in the field um, that haven't won a race in a long time, and maybe it's just a sentimental pick. But I, I'd like to see, or, or I'm going to pick um, Elio Castro Nevis for race one, and Mr. Tony Canan for race two. I think those are two guys that are. Not finished winning yet, but the, neither has won in a while, and I think Elio, um leading the points right now uh, is just going to be on fire and have the full full support of the Penske team. So. Um, and my final thought coming out of Indy is just, Joey, like you, it's always a privilege and an honor to be there. And it's just, it always, when I walk through the gates, I still feel like I did the first time I walked through those gates in 1994. I just just, just feel like, you know, a, a kid in a toy store. And there's not a better place on earth to be. So, Joey, you get one last thing to say, and then we move on to the Coca-Cola
0: 600.
5: Everybody's been in awe of of Fernando Alonso being back, but I think even bigger than him was having McLaren back. And I hope, you know, it is my sincere hope that they do something in the future to, to ensure I don't care if it's with Honda, with Chevy, with, you know, the Cosworth engine that's apparently out and about, um, that everybody knows about. I, I, I just sincerely hope that we see it, uh, to where we can have McLaren back on the grid in a full-time capacity at, uh, at the Verizon IndyCar Series, not just the Indy 500.
2: And I think that's something definitely on Zach Brown's radar, so that's a developing story. We'll have to see how that goes. But with that being said, that will wrap up our uh, Indy 500 segment again. Guys, you are listening to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, drafting the circuits here. Seth and Richard, um, while Joey and I spent our weekend um, in Indianapolis, you guys were down in Charlotte. Um, and, uh, you know, Richard and Gray – um, you guys both work for Richard children's racing. So it must've been pretty exciting, uh, to see young Austin Dillon take the win there.
3: Much needed shot in the arm for the, for the company. Uh, really, uh, you know, they, uh, they parlayed strategy into it. Uh, it took a brand new car there that they worked on and sorted out. And, uh, and Austin, uh, Started Didn't start well. He started in 22nd, but ended up uh, running in the top 10 uh, most of the night and was able to position himself in uh, circumstances parlayed into victory, and uh, we couldn't be
4: prouder. Guys, oh, it was fantastic to see. I mean, you know, that team, you know, has been through Difficult time of it this year, you know, the Kansas issues with breaks, um, you know, Atlanta, where they were running strong and we had a technical issue, um, you know, uh, the crew chief change just heading into the 600 with Justin Alexander stepping up from the Xfinity uh, uh, series where he'd been crew chief to Austin in the Xfinity series so far this year, stepping up uh, to the full time Cup team, uh, you know, so there was pressure on him there and. It was great to see, you know, as Gray mentioned, your qualifying was disappointing, and we seem to have swapped around a little bit. You know, at the start of the year, we could we were there in qualifying. We were, you know, getting two or three cars, or at least two cars into the top 12 on a fairly regular basis. We seem to have struggled a little bit the last few weeks with that, especially on the intermediate mile-and-a-half tracks. And then, um, you know, but we picked up the race pace. You know, Austin was, you know, for a long period of the race, 7th, like 8th, ninth, 10th, that sort of region and some of the restarts worked well which again has been an area where we've maybe struggled a little bit so far this year and some of those restarts were good a couple of times we got blocked by a couple of the slower guys in front of us but um you know everybody you know to a certain extent there was a bit of you know oh it was a lucky win well you can argue that but also you know it's an educated win as well because from a crew chief standpoint you know the tire wear was low degradation was low you you know it's going to be a fuel mileage race and they just were backwards you know they knew they had 45 laps on fuel they thought well we could probably save two or three out there so we stopped with 48 to go and and just go with it and if there's a caution well there's a caution and we we deal with it but you know sometimes you got to make those decisions and maybe that's what hasn't been happening in the past and maybe that was one of the reasons why we saw that change on top of the pit box there and it, it certainly worked it, it worked great and um you know they've got to take a lot of credit for that to uh to execute in the way they did, and you know what, a huge amount of credit has to go to Austin. There, um, talking to some of the engineers today, they think they were about three or four laps short on fuel. So he, he, he saved three or four laps of fuel, which isn't easy in a stock car. You know, it's not as easy as you think when you've only got really two opportunities to to save fuel in a lap. Uh, and for a long period of that run, he was chasing down that forty-eight car, um, and so a huge amount of credit to Austin. You know this, he's done a lot of work in the simulator and with driver development tools, and um, you know a lot of the engineers have worked really, really close with him. And uh, yeah, he executed perfectly. And I think it was, I think it was ten feet either side of the start finish line where they actually ran out of fuel. So you know, really, really, you know, top credit to the guys.
6: Now I wouldn't put it all just on luck because Austin Dillon was one of eight cars. That did stay out and try that strategy, and the only one of those eight that that ran out was actually Jimmy Johnson, who led the bulk of that last run. Um, Johnson ran out with about two laps ago, which handed the lead over to Dylan, with Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. running them down. They had pitted with about thirty-five to go. Uh, we never got to see what Brad Keselowski or Chase Elliott had after they got taken out in a somewhat weird, somewhat wild wreck uh, about 20 laps in after Jeffrey Earnhardt blew an engine. Parts and pieces were littering the track. Eric Jones hit some, Danica Patrick. It went through Chase Elliott's nose, cut an oil line, lighting his car up, and uh, Kozlowski just slid in the oil and uh, ran literally underneath him for about. 100 150 feet. So
3: yeah that
4: was uh, that was right in front of me in the grandstand and that was a big hit. That uh yeah he he uh, somewhat, remin- properly, though.
3: somewhat reminiscent of the uh Almarola crash yeah. at uh, Kansas. He got in the uh got in the fluid from Danica's car and was was unable to uh steer his car away from the other cars and ended up slamming into him.
6: And then later on in the night, there was another wreck very similar to that as well. Uh, Ty Dillon, his engine let go. Kevin Harvick spun in the oil. Kyle Larson slid in the oil, hit the wall. And at the same time, at the other end of the racetrack, Casey Kane, his uh, right rear truck arm mount broke, sending him spinning into the wall. And Trevor Bain had nowhere to go and clipped him as he tried to avoid the wreck. So there were a number of different weird and different situations that happened throughout the night in the Coke 600, which
4: yeah.
6: is somewhat typical of the race because it is considered NASCAR's version of endurance races. As far as the engines are concerned, it being their longest race of the year. So all the parts and pieces get tested, uh, to their limits essentially. And we saw which ones I guess were more likely to break compared to others. Would be the yeah. best um, way of playing it.
4: Yeah, who else we saw? Ryan Blaney broke an axle coming off pit road. Yeah, he,
6: yeah, he broke an axle. Uh, I want to say it was it was the last pit stop too. I want no, to say.
3: it was early on. No, it was before the rain delay. Yeah,
6: I thought it was after the rain delay. I'm yeah. I may be getting him mixed up in my notes, but uh, yeah, he broke an axle leaving pit road. Uh, and also on pit road he had. The crew chiefs of Eric Jones and Chad Knauss, they were going at it uh, off and on throughout the night. Uh, And it happened every time Martin Truex Jr., Eric Jones' teammate, got off a pit road with the lead. So I thought that was an interesting coincidence.
4: That was was gangsmanship in a lot of ways, wasn't it? I mean, I I believe from what I can remember, that the pit box in front of Eric Jones was either empty or whoever it was, it could have been Kozlowski or Elliott. Or the, the pit box in front was empty, and maybe the other guy had, had wrecked earlier in the race. So he knew
6: I want to say, say it was Kozlowski.
4: Yeah, so he knew that box was free. So there was no need for him to sit back in his box. He could have gone to the front of his pit box, which would have given you know Jimmy Johnson room to get out. But of course, he played the game a little bit and sat deep in his box, which meant that Jimmy had to do the same thing, or if Jimmy did overshoot a little bit, it made him, you know, a tighter exit and a slower exit for him. So a little bit of gamesmanship there, but you know what, if it had been the other way around, the 48 would have done exactly the same thing. You know, it's just, it's just one of the little, you know, sort of tricks of the trade that you, you see in NASCAR. Every team does stuff like that.
3: Yeah. And, and, uh, you guys also saw a pretty, pretty good, uh, Xfinity race on Saturday, uh, the last, uh, gosh, the last, uh, 30, 30, laps of that race were really exciting.
5: I mean, those exist. Those exist.
6: Yes. Austin could have
4: gone Does back to yes. <laughs> uh, uh, back <laughs> there, couldn't he? Uh, Austin uh, could have done the double at the weekend. And I think if there hadn't been those late race cautions, he probably would have done because he had the, you know, had the beating over the long run of, of mostly the guys out there and it was just those restarts where he struggled a little bit and got, uh, caught by Harvick and, uh. Uh, and Blaney there, I think if that had stayed green with ten to go, he would have uh, he would have gone back to back.
6: But on the flip side, uh, had Blaney not broken his axle as early as he did, he may have also had Very something true. in the six hundred because he was fastest in the final practice there as well. Yeah, and he was and, he had
3: he was running good before the trouble too.
6: And he started dead last in the field in. Uh, the, the Xfinity race after a, I want to say it was a unapproved tire change.
3: Yeah. Okay. he came through the field like, like, like a hot knife through butter. He was, uh, he really, he really, he had a good, he had probably had the dominant car all day.
6: And also in the Xfinity series, let's see, you had a number of guys coming back up through the field late after spinning early, Brendan gone, Brendan. Poole, Ooh, yeah. Uh, Darrell Wallace Jr. almost did the same thing. He was running in the top ten uh early. He even led a few laps before falling back and ultimately uh mainly because of the pit crew and pit stops, but uh ultimately getting caught up in something, spun, made it back up to I want to say seventh or eighth, and then on the last lap ended up uh getting hit by someone and fell at the thirteenth or fourteenth. Uh and also, Christopher Bell had an impressive debut for the NASCAR Xfinity Series. It was his first start in the Xfinity Series, and he ran primarily with the cup guys all day uh, in the top five, top six or so.
2: Seth, are you still there?
6: Yeah, I'm still here. I'm still here. Okay, I uh, think yeah, it sound like you dropped out for a second. so uh, <clears throat> uh, I, I may have <clears throat> dropped off, out for one second there. Sorry
2: okay so i guess you went to bahamas for the moment now you're back <laughs> so uh, let's uh let's talk about kyle bush for a second cuz you know again kyle bush has his name in the news for oh how do we want to say it acting childish uh, and, and again you know he's taking a beating on social media but uh, you know I, don't, I know i know seth you were right there in the press room when he did his little mic drop oh. uh, mic drop he... and then Pushed, you know, uh, pushed his chair out and left the conference after nobody had any questions for him. But I think the funniest reaction was Dale Jr. was uh, watching the watching the uh, press conference uh, on Periscope, and he where he was live on Periscope uh, watching the press conference, and, and Kyle pulls that little stunt there with the mic drop. And Dale looks at the camera and says, "Damn, he just did that." You know, and then uh, Dale takes to Twitter and says, "Hey, don't change the thing, Kyle Bush. Um, You know, we some to the point where we all can't be uh, PR robots. Um, well, I, then he said, "That shit was funny. I was entertained." So, uh, but uh, not everybody else took it in the same uh, spirit as uh, as Dale well, did. So, but what were your thoughts? You, it, I mean, you were right there.
6: Well, putting it into perspective, his TV and his radio interviews were tame. He walks between the TV interview, which happened maybe two, three minutes before he came into the deadline room, and when he came into the deadline room, something changed. He uh, he had the typical, typical Kyle Bush bravado and attitude, sat down at the table. They didn't even, uh, the moderator didn't even ask any questions. So he just opened up two questions. Uh, I want to say Bob Pockris was a, uh, only one who was able to get a question out of Kyle. And it was something about whether or not uh, the fuel mileage strategy, if it surprised him, Kyle Bush answered uh, just about, uh, I want to say it was he just said, about he nothing. Said, surprised nothing surprises me, me anymore. Congratulations.
2: Yeah. Boom, Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> t- t-
6: tossed the mic on to the table. asked us if we had any more questions. I was raising my hand when he looked at his PR rep and said, I guess we're done here, and he walked out.
2: Yeah, well, typical Kyle. But, uh, you know, the guy just doesn't handle handle disappointment well. You know, I know he had a he won the first stage, right, and then he had a pretty dominant car all day, pretty fast car, him and his, uh, uh, along with uh, some of the other Toyotas there. But uh, they just didn't get it done. You know, if you're not there at the end, you're not there at the end. And I think, uh, you know, I think there's something to be said for for grace in losing – um and, but, uh, and and even so then then the next thing is I guess Keselowski is getting into it with the vice president of Toyota on Twitter. I, I don't know is, if you, you saw those and, either. So
6: and Matty Bandetto also offered his thoughts as well. Uh, D Bandetto told his fans if he ever acted like that, they had permission to slap him.
2: <laughs> That's funny.
6: <laughs> and Keselowski had said uh, something about. He said, my Thanks. definition
2: of hating losing yeah. is to come back and work harder the next week. And, and, and then and, and and he said, maybe, said maybe I should keep my mouth, mouth shut. shut. Yeah, and the vice president of Toyota says, yeah, you're right. You should keep your mouth shut. So, uh, you know, it's all very entertaining and whatnot. Uh, I agree with Dale Jr. It's, it's quite entertaining. Um, you know, Kyle is Kyle. He is who he is. <laughs> dude dude wins a lot of races. and uh, But still, I, you know, to behave like that in front of the press, I don't know. I I just don't find a place for it. <laughs>
6: And speaking yeah. of
4: junior, uh, Richard, you've got a thought. Yeah, very quickly. You know, it's petulance more than anything from 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 Kyle there. And, but do you think at some point it's gonna, it has to start you know, having a negative impact on on their performance? In terms of, you know, you know, do your media, if you like a little petulant child, we're going to start costing you 15 minutes of practice. We're going to, you know, doc you something, make these guys, the football players, or the soccer players, or the baseball, ice hockey, basketball, whatever. They are role models to young kids. And I know it's an argument that that would be a show in itself. But at some point, they have to turn around and you know, make them accountable, and turn around and say look, this attitude, this arrogance, this example is not acceptable in society. And you have to be—you're a role model. You have to be accountable for your own actions. And you, you know, we're going—if if you don't, you know, adhere to your media commitments, you're going to get fined or or, or, or you know, have practice time restricted. Do something because, you know, you had a great race on, Saturday, on Sunday night, Monday into Monday morning. And that, spoiled it for everybody. And the, the fact that he can't even turn around and have a sincere congratulations from everybody it's really hard to get back to where we are, and, and even Richard Childress personally, who commands a huge amount of respect in the garage. You know, it was just, it's pathetic. And I, I really take issue with the way he acted.
2: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, now, now, Richard, we heard most of what you said. We're still having still having a little technical issue when you're in there and broken up, but uh, I believe we did get the gist of it. So, so, guys, before we uh, move on and start talking about Formula 1, we've got uh, next up on the schedule, is it is it Dover, am I correct? It
6: is Dover. It is
2: Dover, <laughs> the Monster Mile. So, uh, any final shots thoughts on Charlotte before we start to preview Dover? Uh,
6: I have one that's somewhat on Charlotte. It goes back to Christopher Bell. Uh During his media availability, uh, he was asked about his Chili Bowl car. Earlier this year, he won the Chili Bowl. He bought it from his team owner in that series, uh, Keith Coons, and he now has it in his living room.
2: In his living room?
6: Uh,
2: Does his wife like that? In his
6: living room. (laughs) Uh, He's... He's not married, and he doesn't have a girlfriend. And from my understanding, he—I think—I he, I, mean—he's still nineteen. I want to say, All and right. <laughs> that's, he, I, his comment—his like comment was—his comment was—he was had no room in his garage, so he put it in the only room where he had nothing in it.
3: That's <laughs> speaking Denny <funny. to> <laughs> Hamlin's so. Daytona 500 winning car is in his living room.
6: Exactly. That's,
2: that's pretty cool. I'm. Mean, you know what? I'm sure Denny Hamlin's living room is much larger than mine, so uh yeah. <laughs> but uh so Seth, as long as you as long as you're there on the mic, let's uh let's get your picks for Dover. Picks
6: uh for Dover. my pick for Dover, uh I'll just go with Jimmy Johnson. I mean when has he not won there?
2: Uh I don't want to pull out the stats, but uh yeah, he's won there a lot. So uh Joey, you want to go next with the pick for Dover?
6: Uh
5: I was gonna pick Jimmy Johnson. Um uh, <laughs> Let's see here. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Um, You know, he's always good at Bristol. He's got a thing for for concrete. So, uh, you know, he's kind of translated that to Dover. So I'll I'll pick Stenhouse.
2: So, Gray, you're
3: next. Who do you have for uh, Dover? Oh, I'm going to go with uh, Martin Truex in the 78. He runs well up there, and uh, I think he'll. uh, He'll rebound from uh from charlotte he had he was he was another driver that was a little bit disappointed in his, uh he probably had the it, it probably would have come down to uh to he and and kyle for the win uh so i'm to say he he picks up the win this weekend
2: all right fantastic and richard
4: uh i'm gonna go with kevin harvick
2: okay harvick good pick and uh now i'm gonna use seth logic with uh you know, Seth, you showed me a picture today of a new die-cast car you got. What was that, a Dale Earnhardt Jr. car? I guess. Oh, Seth said he'll back. So, anyway, guy. so Seth, Seth sent me a picture of you. you got an autograph? Dale Earnhardt Jr. car. And Seth has this thing that whenever he buys an autographed die-cast, that driver wins uh, within the next two races. Now, Seth had bought an Elio Castro Neves car uh, autographed. And, uh, you know, Elio came up short at Indy. Uh, he's pretty darn close, but uh, so maybe I'll go with uh, Dale Junior. gets uh, gets a gets a race win during his farewell tour uh, before he retires. So I'll go with that. So with that being said, uh, Monaco Grand Prix was held early Sunday morning. Uh, Joey, did you have a chance to watch it in the media center? And I, I know I was down in the garage. Yeah, I was at pretty pissed of off. You're pretty pissed off.
5: I mean, you know,
2: just go, go I ahead and break it down for a, us. A, a,
5: I mean, I can be an unbiased, uh, uh, media guy for the most part, but since I don't cover F1, I could be a little biased and, uh, you know, seeing, seeing Kimi on pole was pretty, pretty awesome. Cause, uh, you know, I, ever since I was a kid, before I got into this business, Kimi Räikkönen was somebody that I always thought was, was awesome. And the epitome of what a race car driver represented back in the day in some, in some capacity, uh, at least what my mindset was. And he got his first pole in almost a decade. And, uh, Looked like he was – and if nobody's seen the onboard lap of his hole uh, in Q3, is amazing. What's even crazier is to think that he aborted a lap at the very end of that where he was like two and a half tenths faster. So it could have been a sub-112 lap at Monaco. Um, goes out uh, to the race, clean start, starts leading. Uh, starts 14, goes in Q2. Um, when he was on his flyer, Stoffel Van Dorn stuffed it. Both McLarens made Q3, uh, so uh, maybe they're better off with, with Button and, and Van Dorn, I guess. I don't know. But, um, you know, both make Q3. Um, although, if I remember right, and Richard, you can back me up on this. Button had to suffer grid penalties, so he started last. Correct.
4: Um, Correct, yeah. He had, uh, I think it was an engine change or a gearbox change on the, uh, Thursday, Saturday, so, uh, yeah, Fernando left him a little present in his car there, there and, uh, yeah, I was ashamed of <laughs>
5: Um, that's pretty good. Um, but Ferrari locked out the front row for what I believe it to be is the second time this season. And, um, you know, looked like the bell of the ball there. Uh, Bodas was struggling there for a bit. I actually thought that Toro Rosso could sneak maybe the potential podium because they were strong in practice the entire weekend. And, um, but going through the race, 78 laps, uh, we get about a third of the way through it. And, um, you know, Ferrari, Ferrari tells Kimi to go ahead and pit, and uh, they kind of tell him without giving him time for an out-lap, or an in-lap, rather, excuse me. And so, obviously, that lap's not going to be the strongest he pits. Um, they wait five laps and let Vettel get clean air, get a pretty good gap. Um, you know, and then we see them come back uh, with and call Vettel in, and sure enough, it was enough to keep Vettel in front of Raikkonen, and Vettel goes on to get the victory, Hamilton, starting 14th, struggles and ends up, I believe, finishing 7th in the race or 6th. And I I think we all know that this was a case where, you know, Ferrari's never declared a number one driver officially. Um, There's a lot of talk and rumors that that's in the contract for for Vettel. The other end of this, though, that I would say is that pretty much made it picture perfect that you've – you've established that you're going after maximum points because you know you feel it's necessary and personally i kind of look at this and i'm it's a double edged sword because i look at it from a team perspective and i i love ferrari i love what they do uh, um but my first thought is, my first thought is okay well that's the smart decision to go after the championship absolutely but my other thought is you're a manufacturer so you shouldn't really care about the driver's championship as much. The other end of that is how afraid, and I say this knowing everybody, knowing that I already voiced my displeasure with Lewis. You go into this with apparently afraid of Lewis for the coming rounds because you're already going to have a pretty good lead if you finish second, 18-point championship lead instead of a 25-point championship lead. And I understand it's a big difference. Um, it's a full race difference. Um you know, we pretty close to it. And, you know, I look at this situation and it's like, you know, how afraid are you of Lewis? Do you think you're not going to have the car after Monaco when you go to Canada? You know, when you go to Silverstone, are you afraid that the, that car is not going to be as competitive to go blow for blow, pound for pound with Mercedes? You know, so I thought it sent kind of a statement even to their own in, engineering staff of, you know, hey, we, we've got to put Vettel in front because we know we're going to get the one too, but... We're not so comfortable with with the fact that, well, Lewis is still in the best car. I honestly don't think Mercedes is the best car. I think it's Ferrari. They're the only car that's able to adapt on every single circuit that the series goes to because, A, it doesn't have a long wheelbase. B, the engine is is simply just as good. I I think the show we saw in Catalonia is picturesque of everything that this Formula One championship is going to be. Are they going to struggle at Spa a little bit? Are they going to struggle at Canada and Austria? Yeah, possibly. But um, for all intents and purposes, those are the two things I take away from it is it's It sends me the message one way or the other. Um, to continue to, to finish this off, uh, Daniel Ricardo squeaks in, pitch strategy, uh, jumps Verstappen, jumps Botas, gets podium. Uh, Verstappen ends up finishing fifth. I believe Botas ends up fourth. Um, it's a tough day for Mercedes as a constructor overall. Um, one of the harrowing events on the day was, was right before you get to the tunnel turn, um, Button thought he would challenge Wehrlein and decided to give him a race to champions repeat ceremony. And, and um,
6: <laughs> That's funny. you know,
5: I mean, it's, he, he ends up bumping him and, and just, the awkwardness of the angle of the bump along with momentum and the where the wheels are turned just causes Wareline to, to roll over on his side, literally against the fence on its side. Um, so it was worrisome there, but nothing over the top. Pardon the pun. But, um, you know, he he's fine. Button ended up with failure. Van Dorn ended up with failure. McLaren's Race of Two World, we would learn later, ended up with uh, triple failures. And, you know, it was a little rough for them. But um, overall, that's kind of the the takeaways from um, what was the Monaco Grand Prix. I'm never disappointed with it, but um, it, it was a sour taste at the end of this one for sure.
2: Yeah, well, at least on the bright side, you know, when Ferrari is uh, executing team orders, they're a little more sneaky about it than you know the days where we would just have, uh, you know, Barrichello just slow down on the straight and let Schumacher go on by. So, but uh, well, but anyway, you know, I, I, I always love Monaco. It's one of my favorite uh, favorite races. It it was indeed the first Formula One race I ever had watched on television as a young kid. It was uh, Patrick Depailler won that one. If you want to go ahead and figure out how old I am, um, but uh, yeah, I, I I always enjoyed it. It's picturesque, and to your point, Joey, I, th- I think Ferrari is. Uh, uh, it's come on strong, strong this year after after two years of pretty questionable results. Uh, I think Ferrari is going to be the, the car to beat week in and week out. And uh, <clears throat> they definitely should uh, should throw Bone Kimmy's way every now and again.
4: I think one thing uh, that was, was quite uh, telling was this was only the second race in the hybrid era where two Mercedes have finished a race with neither of them on the podium. Uh, you know, it was quite a, a telling feat and uh, they were certainly struggling. I think we, we, we touched uh, touched on it last week with the, the long wheelbase certainly doesn't help around uh, a circuit like Monaco. But, you know, again, going back, back to a similar situation in Russia, Lewis just didn't have the, not only did he not have the pace, but he didn't have the pace of his teammate. And that's that's your unusual thing. You could understand if if neither of the cars had the pace, if both cars were struggling, but for for one to one to really struggle and one struggle it was quite unusual. And I, I think that could be the difference this year. If um, you know, if if Vettel's not quite on Raikkonen's pace, he has to be close enough for Ferrari to play those team orders. If Mercedes would want to play, play that team order game already. They couldn't, because there was too big of a gap between uh, Bottas and, and Hamilton. And and Lewis has got to, whether it's, I think it was tyres overheating again, as it was in Russia, uh, they need to probably get on top of that and understand that, and maybe make the cars a little bit less temperature-sensitive in the tyres, which is far easier said than done. A lot of these things are built into the fundamental designs of the chassis, so it may be that they're too far down that road, but I think this season is going to be highlighted or going to be won by the team that does the best when they have a bad race. And at the yeah. moment, you know, from, from the Hamilton's garage, that's not been the case. They've had two bad races in, uh, Russia uh, and Monaco. And those have been far worse than for our, or, let's put it this way, Patel's bad races.
6: And uh, just one thought that I have, uh, OsF one for the first time had both of their cars scoring points, which that out of all the places to do Monaco, I thought that was actually impressive.
5: Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. So Esteban Gutierrez was not one of those drivers, so of course that was going to happen at some point, <laughs>
2: right? Um. And, and we may indeed see a <laughs> Gutierrez in Detroit. I'm hearing so <laughs> in an Indy car. Right. So, uh, but I don't want to give any fuel to that rumor until there's more truth uh, truth to be told.
5: The one, the one thing I'll say to Richard's point um, about overheating the tires, I think some of that comes down to brake bias and driving style because I look at Hamilton's driving style, and he drives a lot with the nose of that car to help yeah. center up the corner. And I look at somebody like Botus. Uh, you know, they drive a lot with the back end of the car. They like it. They're not afraid to get it, have it kick out a little bit coming out of the corner. So I think a lot of that has to do with, with exactly what they're doing to, to push the, t- the temperature in there, and I think a high brake bias on the front is what's causing him to lose grip and direction and things um, yeah, with this new car.
4: Quite possibly, and also now with the electronic braking system, there's no it's all brake by wire. There's no hard link between the uh, you know the driver's input and, and the braking system. It could be that that's causing him issues. I know every team will redesign that system every year to make it lighter and more efficient and all these sort of things so maybe that's an area that you're struggling with and uh, uh you know maybe as it sounds with maybe the williams system wasn't as effect- as efficient and botas can just react to a you know and, and drive a, a car that doesn't perform quite as well better maybe hamilton's become too used to having the ultimate car and uh you know, he, he's been in the sweet spot for so long that it sounds crazy, but he's almost forgotten how to drive a bad car.
2: God, you know, Hamilton's pretty much had a top car his entire career. You know, there's,
4: yeah. there's very, very few races where, where, where he struggled. So, yeah. I don't think there's been a season he hasn't won a race. Maybe there's only one se- or two seasons now I think he's lost to a teammate, and that was uh, well, Button that, and uh, now, Rosberg. No. Yeah, but um, but I
5: will say this: over the course of their career, Button actually outscored him on points.
4: Yes, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah I do uh, remember that stat.
5: Yeah.
2: All right, guys. Well, we are just about out of time here. Actually, we're we're well over time. So uh, I do want to mention one more time: you are listening to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. You listen to Draft of the Circuits. Uh, I want to thank you, Gray. And Seth and Richard and Joey uh, had a great show tonight. Enjoyed talking to you. Uh, Want to th- thank all of our listeners. Uh, we appreciate you week in and week out, guys. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you uh, in a week's time. We'll be we'll be talking about Dover and Detroit. Uh, Formula One will have the weekend off, uh, but they'll move on to Canada uh, the following week. So uh, until then, guys, you know, enjoy the races. Good night. <laughs> W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O, that's the wizard.com. Get your website, get your website, get your website, get your website.